The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. I'm going to speak to you this morning for our remaining time about something I'm calling the tragedy of a Christian college education. The tragedy of a Christian college education. Now, maybe that title sounds a little surprising. I mean, I'm a Christian educator. I'm working at what I firmly believe is one of the greatest Christian institutions anywhere. I'm talking to students who are working hard at getting a Christian college degree. Some of you may not have had a whole lot to say in where you went to school, but the vast majority of you chose PCC on purpose. You wanted what we had to offer. You appreciated the Christian perspective. You could have gone anywhere, but you valued Christian college education as more valuable than a lot of other things. You came expecting to get the best education, not a tragic one. But I'm going to suggest to you that there is something tragic about a Christian college education. I haven't looked back there to see, but the administration sitting behind me may be a little surprised at that title also. They're sitting there thinking, what is Troutman saying now? Well, that won't be the first or the last time somebody asked that question. But um, maybe they, like you, were lulled into complacency by my erudite exposition of attendance policies, but I probably have their attention now. Um, (laughs) They may not want to hear this, but I, I am going to say it anyway. There is a tragedy in Christian college education. By the way, if you guys on the front row see Dr. Atkins sneaking up behind me to drag me away, give me a heads up. I appreciate it. Faculty in the loges, you guys out there, you, you may also be shocked that we're going to talk about this this morning because you know, these faculty, they've done a lot of graduate work. They've done significant effort, time, and energy, many of them in, um, in school, many of them in professional experiences. Like the insurance ads say, they know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two. Your faculty is in a great place to understand the ins and outs, ups and downs, strengths and weaknesses of all sorts of educational settings. They've studied at sacred and secular institutions. They're qualified to teach anywhere. They've purposely chosen to invest their life here because they believe in the value of a Christian college education. They apparently don't associate what they do with tragedy. So what is it? What is the tragedy? What's the problem with where you're going to school? What's so wrong with what you and the administration and the faculty have invested their lives in? Well, before I tell you what the tragedy of a Christian college education is, let me tell you what it's not, at least as far as your education at PCC is concerned. First of all, the tragedy is not in the cost. You may want to debate me on that when you show me your college bill, but I say say it's, it's not the tragedy of how much it costs to go to school. And and if you're concerned, well, wow, it it is super expensive. Well, I just encourage you to compare what you get here with any place else. One website I looked at cited the average cost of attendance at a public four-year school right now is at about $27,000 a year when you factor in tuition, room board, uh, and and all the other things, the cost to attend. If you bump that up to a private school, it goes up to about $56,000 a year. I looked it up yesterday on the college website, the annual cost to attend here uh, was just under 30000 putting us close to half the average private school cost. And then because of subsidies and other benefits, the cost that you actually have to pay ends up being around 15000 a year. That makes it almost half the public school and almost a quarter of a private school. 
When you're getting a top-shelf education and facilities at bargain basement prices, that's not the definition of a tragedy. That's a really, really good situation to be in. So the tragedy of Christian college education is not found in your cost, at least not here. It's also not found in quality. The tragedy of a Christian college education is not in the quality of the education that you receive. Some schools pride themselves on being scholarly and others pride themselves on being practical. I think the strength of our program here is in its balance. It's quality education, it's substance, it's depth, but it's also high expectations for skills. You're going to learn how to learn, but you're also going to learn how to apply and share what you've learned. You're going to be equipped for the ministry that God has for you. We repeatedly hear back from employers talking about the quality of our graduates and how much they value you in their, in their employ. Every semester you're going to hear in chapel about recruiters and employers from all over the country who come here because they think you are worth hiring. Some of the biggest names in business and professions and politics and graduate schools are going to be competing for your attention because they appreciate the quality that they're going to get if they hire you. Your costs are low, but the quality is high, and that's a great combination. The tragedy in getting an education here at PCC is not in the quality. And despite what you may think about my previous announcement, the tragedy of Christian college education is not in an attendance policy. So if, if it's not any of those things, if it's, if it's not cost, if it's not quality, and it's certainly not attendance, then what is the danger? What's so terrible about, a, about pursuing a Christian college education? You say, Troutman, what is your point? Well, good luck with that, because students' expectations of getting that question answered have also been dashed for many years. But, but let's give it a shot. You've got your Bibles there open in Isaiah 42. In order to see the tragedy of a Christian college education, I want us to look at some parallels between what we experience and what the nation of Israel was experiencing in this passage. This passage is written shortly before the nation of Israel is going to be carried off into captivity, and God is going to send them a message through the prophet Isaiah. In a sense, he's going to take them to college. He's going to take them through a curriculum. He's going to remind them of lessons that they were learning as a people, and then he's going to point out the tragedy of that education for them. We're going to see a curriculum designed by God himself, a course of must-learn information. And before we start looking at the specific verses, let me give you a little bit of background to the passage. He's going to be describing, um, there's, there's a phrase that comes up in the book of Isaiah multiple times. Uh, it's called the servant of the Lord, or as Isaiah refers to him repeatedly as my, God calling him my servant. And you have to understand that sometimes in some of those passages that talk about the servant of the Lord, it's a direct reference to the Messiah. Most of you are familiar with Isaiah 52 and 53 and the very graphic description of the sacrifice that Messiah would make on, on behalf of his people. Sometimes, like if you look back at Isaiah 41, it's used specifically to describe Israel. The nation of Israel served as God's servant, his personal representatives to the world. So the term gets used in both ways, and here in Isaiah chapter 42, we're going to see both of those coming up. He's going to make direct reference to, Isaiah, to the Messiah as my servant, but then he's going to point out how his servant Israel is reacting to that message. Now, if we're going to look at this as kind of like a college curriculum, the first class in their curriculum is is Bible class. I want you to look look at verse 1 of chapter 42. Chapter 42, verse 1 says this. He said, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Now, the previous chapters, and again, if you look back at it on your own, you look at the end of the previous chapter, God had asked them to behold something there. There he asked him to behold the the false gods of this world. And he describes those false gods as, uh, in in terms of um, their their, um, 
they're not, they're boisterous, they're loud, they're, they're weak, they're, they're unable to, uh, they're empty, they're worthless. He calls them wind and confusion. But he's going to make a very direct contrast that the servant of God, here a reference to the Messiah, the one he's asking them now to behold, he said, this is one in whom my soul delights. He's going to overcome the sinfulness of humanity. He's going to be a just judge. He tells them more about this Messiah in verses 2 and 3. In those verses, he says, He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. Now, unlike the gods of this world who instill fear in their followers through displays of power and threats, he's not talking about the Greek gods specifically, but picture Zeus on the mountaintop with lightning bolts hurling them down. That's the way the gods of this world in, get their followers to comply. Notice God's servant, he says, though, is dramatically different. He's not boisterous. He's gentle. He has a quiet strength. He doesn't threaten. He doesn't intimidate. Think back with what you know about Jesus in the Gospels, how Jesus often performed his miracles. When Jesus would do miracles, he would display his power. He often did it quietly. He did it behind the scenes. He did it not drawing attention to them. In fact, he often discouraged other people from even talking about them. Jesus' ministry was one of grace and help, not just to physical needs, but also to spiritual needs. Look down to verses 6 through 8. He says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. I will hold thine hand. I will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison. Then that sit in darkness out of the prison house, I am the Lord. That is my name. Now think about what he's telling us in this Bible class about the Messiah. Whether you're an education person, a nursing person, a business student, or studying pastoral ministries, God is giving us a, a course in the life of Christ. He's telling us exactly what Jesus would be like, how he would minister, how he would teach others, how he would meet their physical needs, how his ministry would be characterized. First course in their curriculum was a course on the Messiah. Next, God goes on to give them a course in history And then he's going to transition that into a course on prophecy. Look down at verse 9. Verse 9, he says, The former things are come to pass, new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. He's he's letting them know the confidence that they can have in the statements that he's making now. Remember, he's making predictions about the Messiah. So how would they know, how do we know those predictions are going to come true? Well, he says, look back at your history. Look at all the promises I've ever made to you before. Have all of them come to pass? And the answer, of course, would be yes. He said, if you'll look at your history, you'll see I've got a consistent pattern of keeping my promises. And he says, because of that, that can transition into your eschatology. Now you can know that this is going to come in the future because I'm a, I'm a God of my word. I do what I say. His previous promises have been kept, and that reminds them that they can trust the promises that remain to be fulfilled. So they've had Bible class, they've had history class, they've had Bible doctrines where they've studied prophecy. Let's think about another one. Look down to verses 10 through 12. Now we're going to get into some of the music and the fine arts curriculum. Verse 10, he says, Sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise from the end of the earth. Ye that go down into the sea, all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof, let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar doth inhabit. Let the inhabitants of the rocks sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory unto the Lord and declare his praise in the islands. I mean, he's calling attention to this Messiah that he's been speaking about is worthy of all their praise. He's worthy of their songs. He's worthy of their attention. 
He sings about him rewarding the righteous, destroying the wicked, being exalted in the eyes of all who behold him. Think about for us, our praise and our worship, whether in song or in word, should call attention to who Jesus is and his worthiness to be praised. Those of you who are studying music or other performing arts, you realize the most important thing that we can communicate through those means is Christ, directing people to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, so far, this sounds like a pretty impressive, pretty amazing college education. We've got an instructor of the Holy Spirit who's omniscient and omnipotent. We've got curriculum, God's word, that's infallible and appropriate. Maybe at this point, we still don't see it. What's the tragedy of this kind of education? What's the tragedy for us of a Christian college education? You sit there and you think, well, I'm learning about the Bible. I'm learning about Christ. I'm learning about worship. I'm studying my discipline from a biblical worldview. I'm getting perspectives on reaching others in my field. So what is the problem? Well, I submit to you the tragedy of their education and for us, the tragedy of our education isn't in the curriculum and it's not in the instructor. It's not in the cost and it's not in the quality. The tragedy of this passage is found specifically in the response of the students. Will you look with me down at verse 18? Starting in verse 18, he says this, Hear ye deaf and look, ye blind that ye may see. Who is blind but my servant? Now he's transitioned to talk about the servant, the nation of Israel and her response. Who is blind as he that is perfect and blind as the Lord's servant? Seeing many things, but thou observest not. Opening the ears, but he heareth not. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. Jump down to verse 24. Who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to the robbers? Did not the Lord, he against whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, neither were they obedient to his law. Therefore, he hath poured upon him the fury of his anger, the strength of battle. Did you catch that? The tragedy of this education for Israel was that his servant, having all of the blessings and all of the benefit that came from being the people of God, remained blind and deaf to the one God had sent. She lived in unbelief and disobedience. And ultimately, that unbelief and disobedience would send her into captivity. And when the Messiah finally arrived, would have her kill the Messiah. Now let me make a parallel there for us today. The tragedy of a Christian college education for you here at PCC is not that you would be ignorant of God. The tragedy of a Christian college education is knowing so much about God and failing to exercise obedient faith. Israel knew who the Messiah was. They knew what he would do. They knew what he would be like. But they failed to believe. They failed to obey. So let me ask you, what about you? Where's your faith failing? Where's your obedience lacking? If I were to give you a test this morning, I'd probably find that for most of you, your theology is probably okay. You know more about the Bible than most people in the world. Even if you're in a non-Bible program of study, you've been instructed in the things of God to a level that most Christians in the world will never see. You sit in church three times a week, college Bible studies once a week, chapel four days a week, Bible class two days a week. You throw in prayer groups and collegiate devotions, you may have more exposure to God in a single week than some people in this world will have in an entire year or an entire lifetime. 
And yet your problem is the same as mine. We're educated, but not enlightened. We're smart, but we're not spiritual. We're trained, but not transformed. We know what God is like. We know what he's like. We know what he expects of us, but we simply don't obey. We think sin is funny. Gossip doesn't bother us. Whether we tell the truth is determined by convenience, not by conviction. We don't share our faith. We try our best to fly under the world's radar by masking ourselves in their attitudes and activities. We're content to coast in mediocre Christianity, obeying rules and not submitted to Christ. I am scared to death that in this institution we will produce the most educated, highly trained, best equipped, carnal Christians this world has ever seen. And that would be a tragedy. To know so much and to obey so little. Does that tragedy have to happen? Are we condemned to have an education without obedience? Well, no, certainly not. But the only one that can decide that, to change that, is you. Your your Bible doctrines teacher can give you a test over the Davidic covenant and historical articulations of the Trinity, but he can't test you over what you do when you leave the classroom. I can force you to read your Bible and memorize a list from my notes, but I can't control who you are and what you do in the privacy of your room. I can make you go to church. I can ask you about Christian service, but I can't make you serve the Lord. I can teach you a definition for faith, but I can't make you exercise faith. Those things are up to you. So I ask you today, are you content to live with head knowledge? Are you happy with the A on the test, even if you don't live in light of what you learn? I hope not. Israel was content to be the servant of the Lord in name only. I'm asking you to not settle for that. You're getting lots of notes, but not living for the Lord, then you've committed the sin of Israel. And make no mistake, living a life of obedient, of not living a life of obedience to Christ is sin. But it's a sin that can be repented of. You can break your heart before the Lord and ask him to change you. You can confess the sin of disobedience. You can experience his love, forgiveness, and the transforming power of Christ. I don't want you to take your exposure to God's word for granted. So I'm going to ask you to make a personal commitment today. This doesn't have to be exactly how you apply this message, but if you're looking for what do I need to do now, let me give you an idea. I'm going to encourage you to start a journal either in your phone or put a piece of paper in your Bible. And at the end of every church service and chapel, if you'll simply write down one takeaway, one application that you need to make from that message... If you're feeling particularly adventurous, you can throw in applications from your Bible classes too. But if you keep that list and you review that list regularly, every time you add one to the list, look back at what you've previously said you need to be learning and keep yourself accountable for that information. Keep yourself accountable for putting what you've heard into action. Don't let yourself just be a hearer of the word. Ask God to help you be a doer also. The tragedy of a Christian college education is learning about God, but not loving and obeying God. I'm not asking you to get your education elsewhere, because that would be a tragedy. But please, don't settle for an education when what God wants is your heart. He wants you to love him and serve him. So learn what you can, but turn that knowledge into obedience. Put your faith into action. Love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. 
and show that love for him by obedience to him. And that can begin right now. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.